Volume Two, Note of Travels in the Interior of Africa by Mungo Park. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Note The following passage from James Montgomery's poem, The West Indies, published in 1810, was inspired by Mungo Park's Travels in the Interior of Africa. It enshrines in English verse the beautiful incident of the Negro Woman's Song of Charity. On page 190 of the first of these two volumes, and closes with the poet's blessing upon Mungo Park himself, who had sailed five years before upon the second journey from which he had not returned, and whose fate did not become known until five years later. Man, through all ages of revolving time, unchanging man, in every varying clime, deems his own land of every land the pride, beloved by heaven or all the world beside his home the spot of earth supremely blest a dearer sweeter spot than all the rest and is the negro outlawed from his birth is he alone a stranger on the earth is there no shed whose peeping roof appears so lovely that it fills his eyes with tears no land whose name in exile heard will dart ice through its veins and lightning through his heart ah yes beneath the beams of brighter skies his home amidst his father's country lies there with the partner of his soul he shares love mingled pleasures love divided cares there as with nature's warmest file fire he soothes his blind and feeds his helpless sire his children sporting round his hut behold how they shall cherish him when he is old trained by example from their tenderest youth to deeds of charity and words of truth is he not blessed behold at closing day the negro village swarms abroad to play he treads the dance through all its rapturous rounds to the wild music of barbarian sounds or stretched at ease where broad palmettos shower delicious coolness in his shadowy bower he feasts on tales of witchcraft that give birth to breathless wonder or ecstatic mirth yet most delighted when in rudest rhymes the minstrel wakes the song of elder times when men were heroes slaves to beauty's charms and all the joys of life were love and arms is not the negroes blessed his generous soil with harvest plenty crowns his simple toil more than his wants his flocks and fields afford he loves to greet a stranger at his board the winds were roaring and the white man fled the rains of night descended on his head the poor white man sat down beneath our tree weary and faint and far from home was he for him no mother fills with milk the bowl 
no wife prepares the bread to cheer his soul pity the poor white man who sought our tree no wife no mother and no home has he thus sang the negro's daughters once again oh that poor white man might hear that strain whether the victim of the treacherous moor or from the negro's hospitable door spurned as a spy from europe's hateful clime and left to perish for thy country's crime or destined still when all thy wanderings cease on albion's lovely lap to rest in peace pilgrim in heaven or earth where'er thou be angels of mercy guide and comfort thee a note to the same poem gives the following record of facts substantiated in a court of justice in which there can be only one answer to the question which were the savages in this year seventeen eighty three certain underwriters desired to be heard against gregson and others of liverpool in the case of ship zong captain collingwood alleging that the captain on officers of the said vessel threw overboard one hundred and thirty-two slaves alive into the sea in order to defraud them by claiming the value of the said slaves as if they had been lost in a natural way in the course of the trial which afterwards came on it appeared that the slaves on board the zong were very sickly that sixty of them had already died and several were ill and likely to die when the captain proposed to james kessel the mate and others to throw several of them overboard stating that if they died a natural death the loss would fall upon the owners of the ship but that if they were thrown into the sea it would fall upon the underwriters he selected accordingly one hundred and thirty-two of the most sickly of the slaves fifty-four of these were immediately thrown overboard and forty-two were made to be partakers of their fate on the succeeding day in the course of three days afterwards the remaining twenty-six were brought upon deck to complete the number of victims the first sixteen submitted to be thrown into the sea but the rest with noble resolution would not suffer the offices to touch them but leapt after their companions and shared their fate the plea which was set up in behalf of this atrocious and unparalleled act of wickedness was that the captain discovered when he made the proposal that he had only two hundred gallons of water on board and that he had missed his port it was proved however in answer to this that no one had been put upon short allowance and that as if providence had determined to afford an unequivocal proof of the guilt a shower of rain fell and continued for three days immediately after the second lot of slaves had been destroyed by means of which they might have filled many of their vessels with water and thus have prevented all necessity for the destruction of the third mr granville sharp 
who after many years of struggle first obtained the decision of a court of justice that there are no slaves in england was present at this trial and procured the attendance of a shorthand writer to take down the facts which should come out in the course of it these he gave to the public afterwards he communicated them also with a copy of the trial to the lords of the admiralty as the guardians of justice upon the seas and to the duke of portland as principal minister of state no notice however was taken by any of these of the information which has been thus sent to them another incident of the middle passage suggested that james montgomery a poem called the voyage of the blind it was that fatal and perfidious bark built in the eclipse and rigged with curses dark milton's lycidius the ship le rodeur captain b of two hundred tons burthen left haver on the twenty fourth of january eighteen nineteen for the coast of africa and reached her destination on the fourteenth of march following anchoring at bonny on the river calabar the crew consisting of twenty-two men enjoyed good health during the outward voyage and during their stay at bonny where they continued till the sixth of april they had observed no trace of ophthalmia among the natives and it was not until fifteen days after they had set sail on their return voyage and the vessel was near the equator that they perceived the first symptoms of this frightful malady it was then remarked that the negroes who to the number of one sixty were crowded together in the hold and between the decks had contracted a considerable redness of the eyes was spread with singular rapidity no great attention was at first paid to these symptoms which were thought to be caused only by the want of air in the hold and by the scarcity of water which had already begun to be felt at this time they were limited to eight ounces of water a day for each person which quantity was afterwards reduced to the half of a wine-glass by the advice of m magnum the surgeon of the ship the negroes who had hitherto remained shut up in the hold were brought upon deck in succession in order that they might breathe a purer air but it became necessary to abandon this expedient salutary as it was because many of the negroes affected with nostalgia a passionate longing to return to their native land threw themselves into the sea locked in each other's arms the disease which had spread itself so rapidly and frightfully among the africans soon began to infect all on board the danger also was greatly increased by a malignant dysentery which prevailed at the time the first of the crew who caught it was a sailor who slept under the deck near the grated hatch which communicated with the hold the next day a landsman was seized with ophthalmia and in three days more the captain and the whole ship's company except one sailor who remained at the helm 
were blinded by the disorder. All means of cure which the surgeon employed while he was able to act proved ineffectual. The sufferings of the crew, which were otherwise intense, were aggravated by the apprehension of revolt among the Negroes, and the dread of not being able to reach the West Indies. If the only sailor who had hitherto escaped the contagion, and on whom their whole hope rested, should lose his sight like the rest. This calamity had actually befallen the Leon, a Spanish vessel which the Rodeur met on her passage, and the whole of those crew, having become blind, were under the necessity of altogether abandoning the direction of their ship. These unhappy creatures, as they passed, earnestly entreated the charitable interference of the seamen of the Rodeur, but these, under their own affliction, could neither quit their vessel to go on board the Leon, nor receive the crew of the latter into the Rodeur, where on account of the cargo of Negroes there was scarcely room for themselves. The vessels therefore soon parted company, and the Leon was never seen nor heard of again, so far as could be traced at the publication of this narrative. In all probability, then, it was lost. On the fate of this vessel, the poem is founded. The Rodure reached Guadeloupe on the 21st of June, 1819, her crew being in a most deplorable condition. Of the Negroes, 37 had become perfectly blind, 12 had lost each an eye, and 14 remained otherwise blemished by the disease. Of the crew, 12, including the surgeon, had entirely lost their sight. Five escaped with an eye each, and four were partially injured. End of Volume 2 Note Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. End of Travels in the Interior of Africa by Mungo Park